Hello, this is Dr. Mike Barnett with the First Baptist Church of Ocean Springs, Mississippi. Thank you so very much for tuning in to our podcast, and I pray that today's message will be a blessing and an encouragement to you. We are engaging our people at First Baptist Church in an emphasis called Who's Your Mission? It is a challenge to personal soul winning and personal evangelism for the year 2023. We've asked our people to ask God for at least one soul to be burdened for that they might go after that soul and win them to the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the theme of these current messages. And I pray that they will encourage you to be a soul winner and go after one soul that needs to be saved now and to know Jesus now. I pray these messages will help you. And again, thank you for tuning in. Samuel chapter 2, as we continue to go through this interesting book of 2 Samuel. And this morning we answer the question, or we ask the question that you need to answer. Where is your king? Where is your king? Another is, where is your capital? Where is the rule of your life, the seat of of government for your life and who is on the throne? Who are you going to acknowledge? Let's uh, read this uh, text of Scripture. We're going to read it uh, part by part as we bring up some interesting uh, truths and uh, I hope it'll encourage you in the Lord. hope it'll teach you something about David in 2 Samuel. And so uh, let's begin. And it came to pass after this, 15 years before this coming to pass, David was a young lad in the fields of Bethlehem keeping watch over his father's flock. He was out there day and night. And upon a day, Samuel the prophet came having been sent by the Lord. God had told Samuel, I've rejected Saul from being king. I'm not going to listen to him. I'm not going to heed him. I'm not going to hear his prayers. He's doomed. I want you to go to Jesse in Bethlehem. He has a son who is a man after my own heart, and I want him to be king, and I want you to anoint him king. So Samuel made his way to Bethlehem, and you remember the story from 1 Samuel. All the sons of Jesse just lined up one by one. They, they strutted by and flexed and everything else, and God said to Samuel, that's not them. God doesn't look at that. God looks at the heart. And all of them passed by, and finally Samuel said, don't you have another son? He said, yeah, but he's way out in the middle of nowhere keeping sheep and if these others don't impress you, I don't know if he will, but they went and got him, and he was the man, and Samuel anointed, anointed David as king. And then the Lord began to work in his life to get David where he needed to be in position to gain the confidence of the nation. And ere long, uh, he went to Saul's home and played the instruments for him and calmed him down and got known in the court. And then upon a day, the big giant Goliath, remember him? He came out rattling his saber, and David took him out, and that got him notoriety in the whole country. And the people of Israel begin to acknowledge that David is special. Something's unique about him. As a matter of fact, the women sang songs about him. They'd say, Saul has slain his thousands, but David is ten thousands. And Saul heard those songs, and the jealousy that was in his heart just came out. It just manifested who he was. And he began to pursue David's life and try to kill David. 
all the while David knowing that he is to be king, that he is to rule the people of Israel. It was a long, arduous period of time, a long 15 years. Why was it so hard to fulfill God's purpose for God to put David on the throne, at least uh, under uh, ruling over a portion of Israel like we see in our text? Well, I'm not going to answer that question now. I'm going to answer it at a later date. You'll have to come back on another Sunday. But it was a hard, long road. And now, 15 years later, Saul and Jonathan are slain in battle. It's a terrible day for the nation. David mourns Saul's death as we saw last week. And then within that same period of time, probably just in a few days, if not, if, if not shorter period of time than that, these events take place. These events take place. And David is anointed king over Judah, just one of the tribes of Israel. He's promised that he will be crowned king over all of Israel, but now it's just Judah. And we see this event in our text. Now, this is a chapter of contrast. This is the chapter contrasting David from King Saul. David's going to reign 40 years just like Saul reigned 40 years, but it won't be just alike because David is a man after God's own heart. Back in 1 Samuel chapter 16, it says that the Spirit of the Lord came upon David. Our text in 1 Samuel says that the Spirit of the Lord left King Saul. So it's a lesson in contrast for us. And so I want to point out three things about David today, and we're going to learn some valuable lessons for us right here in Mississippi in 20. 23. Isn't that amazing how relevant the Word of God is even for us today, having been written centuries ago, inspired by the Holy Spirit? First of all, I want you to notice David and his praying. David and his praying. And it came to pass after this that David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up into any of the cities of Judah? And the Lord said unto him, Go up. And David kept praying, and David said, Whither, which, which, Where shall I go up? And the Lord said unto him, Unto Hebron. And so we see David and his praying. Now this is a huge contrast. This is written in the imperfect tense. This wasn't, Lord, what do I do? And God says, Well, you need to go to Judah. Okay, I'll go. This was an intense season of prayer. David went to the Lord. Lesser kings, lesser men would have called in the generals and said, pick up your sword. We're going to go take the whole kingdom right now. It's our opportunity to seize the day. We're going to go do it, wipe everybody out, anybody who ever helped Saul, all of Saul's remaining family members, and we will be king, and everybody will know that I'm king, and that's it. But David didn't call to talk to his generals. David didn't call to talk to his leaders or his cabinet. He went to the Lord and he prayed, God, give us leaders who will go to the Lord in prayer. And I want to tell you what, he went to pray. Now, I want you to notice a couple of things about this prayer. There's two questions that David asked of the Lord. David didn't know the answer, and so he asked. You know, the Bible says uh, that if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, and God will give him the wisdom he needs, and God will give him his wisdom. And so David asked of the Lord. He asked two questions. The first question was, shall I go up to Judah? Give me a general answer, Lord. Shall I go up to Judah? Judas is a big pl Judah's a big place. And the Lord said, yes, go up to Judah. And then David said, where in particular do I need to go up? What city do I need to go to? Give me some particulars, Lord. 
And so you have David praying for a general direction, and then you have David praying for a particular place. He just narrowed it on down to get real, real particular. Do you know what this is? This is Proverbs chapter 3, 5, and 6. What does Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 say? Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not on thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy path. David acknowledged the Lord in all his ways. Shall I go to Judah? Yes, go to Judah. Well, Lord, that's a big way. I need a path. And God directed his path. This is Psalm 119 in verse 105. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Lord, where shall I go? I need a big lamp for the general direction for my feet. I need to know north, east, south, west. I need to know which direction you want me to go. I need a big light to shine out broad. And the Lord said, okay, go to Judah. And then he said, but Lord, my feet are going to be walking on a path. I need a flashlight to guide my feet down which path you want me to go. If you've ever come out of the woods late after hunting time's over, you don't want a big spotlight. You want a flashlight, especially uh, when it's early in the season and the snakes are still out. Amen. Amen. You got to have a general praying, and you got to have a particular praying. Is that's what's that's what's taught in this text? You got to pray, Lord, give me a general direction for my life, and then every single little bitty decision, you need to seek the Lord's light for your feet and the way you should go, the way you should go about it, how you should do it, what you should do. Now. Here is what we do. We think and act sometimes like we can obey the Lord in the general and not pay much attention to him in the particular and still be right with him. Amen. I mean, it's kind of like this. We all know, we all know that the general command to every Christian is go ye therefore and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son, Holy Spirit. We all know that. No Baptist is going to not say amen to the Great Commission. But that's the general direction. But when it comes to praying for a ping pong ball, when it comes to praying for a particular soul and particularly going after one, we don't often want to do that. Amen? And we think we can obey him in the general, but we disobey him in the particular. Well, either way is sin and disobedience. That's good preaching, whether you like it or not. Amen? And so you've got to learn, and I've got to learn. Let's give the Lord our lives in prayer, but let him guide us where we should go. A lot of the general things, since we have the complete New Testament, the complete Bible, a lot of the general things we really don't need to pray about anymore. We'd, if we do pray, we need to say, Lord, give me understanding from your word. Like we don't need to pray about should we be a witness for Christ. We know we should be. We just need to pray about the power of God on us and who to go after and, and how to do it. We don't need to pray. Young people, you don't need to pray about marrying a Christian. The Bible says be not unequally yoked. You, you've got to marry a Christian. Now, you better pray particular about who that spouse is going to be. Amen? That's good preaching. And um, if you don't know and, and, you don't, and you don't have a clear signal from the Lord, come see me. I'll help you. Amen? Dad, come see me and your daddy. We'll take care of it. Amen, Bubba. We'll line them up. But uh, you got to get particular. You got to get particular in general in your praying. And so just remember that David prayed, Lord, I need that big lamp. And God said, Okay, I'm shining that big old spotlight toward Judah. Well, Lord, Judah's a big place.
I need some particulars. Well, here's your flashlight pointing to Hebron. David and his praying. You know what, folks? Uh, I wish we had leaders that prayed this way. Amen. Now, another question we need to raise about David and his praying is, why did God say go to Hebron? We all know that David's going to wind up in Jerusalem, but that's just a couple of chapters down the road. We, we, got, some, we got a lot of preaching to get to before we get to Jerusalem. Why, why Hebron? Why does God say, David, go back to Hebron? Well, I have an, I have an idea about that. What about this city of Hebron? Well, Hebron was an interesting city to ancient Israel. It still is. Back in Genesis chapter 13 and verse 8, it's where God had called Abraham or Abram, who became Abraham, to go to. And Abram was in Hebron. And God came to Hebron and reaffirmed the covenant. I'm going to bless your people. You're going to fill the earth. You're going to be numerous. And uh, you're going to bless all nations. All in this land is yours. From the Nile River to the Euphrates River. It's yours forever. It belongs to your descendants. And God reaffirmed the covenant to Abraham at Hebron about the nation of Israel. And then you go also later on, Abraham gets married. Remember, he marries Sarah. Sarah passes away. This is where he will bury Sarah. Sarah will be buried in Hebron. And then uh, we also see that later in the book of Exodus, when Jacob died, what did they do? They took him out of Egypt into Hebron to be buried. So what's in Hebron? Well, uh, Abraham, but Abraham's no longer around, and all we have left is a graveyard in Hebron. And then... Hebron also was a city of refuge. Did you know the Old Testament justice, if a man accidentally killed a man, manslaughter, accidentally, that the family could take revenge. That's how it was back then. They didn't have our judicial system. God set them up on another system. And the manslayer could flee to one of six cities, Hebron being one of them, and he would stay in Hebron, stay in the city of refuge until such a time as he had his trial. And the manslayer couldn't touch him. Now, if he went outside the city, it was fair game. But if he stayed in the city until uh, the trial or until the high priest died, he was safe in the city of refuge. Hebron was one of these cities. In Joshua 14, we read a remarkable story. One of my favorite characters in all of the Old Testament was a man named Caleb. We're first introduced to Caleb when he's a young man. He, he goes out with 12 spies, and he comes back, him and Joshua, and everybody says, man, that land is beautiful, and we know God gave it to us, and we know God promised it to us, and, and the grapes, the grapes are magnificent. And the milk and honey, it's a glorious land. It's wonderful. But they got some of those big dudes out there that could whip us. So we can't go. And Joshua and Caleb said, Turn us loose, Moses, and we'll eat them like they're hot biscuits. <laughs> Amen. And you know what happened? The people murmured and complained and belly ached in their fear and lack of faith, and they wandered around in the desert for 40 years until every one of them died except for Joshua and Caleb. And in the book of Joshua, Caleb is an 85-year-old man, and he says to Joshua, I'm 85 years old. I'm here to claim my inheritance, and I want that mountain. And it was around the city of Hebron. Hebron was a special place. Hebron had a place, was a place of faith in God. Hebron was a place of victory in the Lord. Hebron was a place of redemption and safety in the Lord. So David, go back to Hebron. You know what this is? This is, David, you begin your reign by getting back to the fundamentals, back to the basics. This was like if we have a new president in a few years, it's like the new president saying, folks, it's time to get back to the basics of what it means to be America. 
So I'm not going to be inaugurated in Washington, D.C. I'm going to be inaugurated at Philadelphia in Independence Hall where it all started. Get back to the basics. The nation had left the basics. Saul had led them away from the basics. There was no faith in the Lord, very rare. There was no courage anymore. The nation was in turmoil. Their king and his court were dead, except for Abner, as we'll see in a moment. It's awful what was happening. It's time to get back to the basics. Let me ask you something. Can a nation like ours get so far away from what it means to be an American and what it means to be one nation under God that we've got to have a call back to the basics or we're going to collapse. Let me ask you another question. Can a church get so far from the basics of prayer and worship and soul winning, baptizing our converts, discipling them, that one day it doesn't even look like the Lord's church and he's standing outside the door, knocking on the door, wanting in his own church. You don't think so? Read Revelation 2 and 3. Let me ask you something. Can a Christian get so far away from God? They cloud their lives with the world and all that it has to offer. And they pursue the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. And they're so far away from where they once were when they first came to the Lord Jesus Christ. That church attendance and church membership don't even mean what it used to mean. And faithfulness to pray and seek the word of God and seek souls and minister to others and be what they agreed to be when God saved them that they need to have a call to repentance and get back to the basics. And it all starts with prayer, David's prayer. Maybe you need to just get back to the basics. You're running around here like a chicken with his head cut off trying to figure out what to do to help yourself in the Lord. Let me tell you what to do. Start praying. Get in the Word of God. Spend some time in it. Sit and worship with your brothers and sisters in your local church home and be faithful and serve the Lord in your local church. Don't do 10 things. Do one thing good for the Lord Jesus through your local church. Get back to the basics, amen? Get back to the basics. Back in the day when I first started preaching about three or four years ago, there was a word they used to call people like, like me and others of my kind, they'd say, they're just fundamentalist. And then that word got stolen from us, and a fundamentalist is somebody who's radical. Well, I won't tell you something. I'm a fundy, amen? I'm a fundy on Sunday because I love to preach the Bible, amen? Let's stick with the stuff. Brother Mickey, is that all right with you? Amen. All right, get back to the basics. Do the basics. It's not complicated. But now not only do we see David in his praying, but look at verse 2. David, he obeyed the Lord and he went up to Hebron. Oh, and his two wives also. Ahinoam the Jezreelitess and Abigail, Nabal's wife, the Carmelite. Only if this verse wasn't here. This is David's problem. Now, in a few weeks, we're going to preach a sermon entitled David and His Wives because when he settles in Hebron, he does get back to some basics, but he doesn't go far enough to the basics. He needed to go all the way back to the Genesis, the book of Genesis when God created Adam and Eve, not Adam and Eve and Jane and Betty and Sue and all that. He needed to get back to one wife, one man for one woman, amen, for one lifetime, like God intended marriage to be. And we're going to preach on that because in Hebron he took on some wives, and we're going to preach a sermon entitled, Lord willing, we'll, we'll preach it, entitled, The Danger of Acceptable Sin. See, there's some acceptable sins in our culture that, that the church embraces, and there's some acceptable sins in David's day, and one of them was for kings to have multiple wives. David did it. Abraham did it. Solomon really did it. 
He had 700 of them. And everybody who ever did it, everybody who ever did it always had trouble. One of the most endearing stories of the Old Testament is the story of Ruth. That story started out with two, a man with two living wives. It was never intended for that. And it's amazing how God inserts that in the most opportune times. We're going to see how God is blessing David so much and it, it looks like, man, this is tremendous. Old David is being blessed. He's victorious. He's, he's crowned king. Everything is wonderful. David is being blessed by God. And then God, under the, in, in his sovereignty and, and his inerrant word, he puts a verse like verse 2 in there and says, and David had six wives. And it tells us about it, just like it does here. David is going to Hebron. He's bringing the nation back to the basics. God is, is positioning him to bless him. And, and God's going to do some great things. And then God says, and he took his two wives with him. David and his problem. There's a serious problem, amen? And by the way, the Jews practiced this. But when you get to the New Testament, you don't see the Jews practicing polygamy. You don't see it happening amongst the Jews in the New Testament. You know why? Because it was polygamy that started the downward spiral to where they would be taken captive for 70 years in Babylon because of idolatry and refusing to be obedient to the Lord, the Lord's law. Solomon and his 700 wives, the Bible says, Solomon's heart was turned away from the Lord by his pagan, heathen, idolatrous wives. And that introduced it into the culture of Israel, and we close out the Old Testament with Persia in control. Babylon had been in control and took them, took them away captive, and they said, no more. We're going to protect ourselves from idolatry, and that's why you don't see it in the New Testament. Plus, Jesus delivered them from it. But you do see it among the Romans and you do see it among the Greeks, but not the Jews. There's some besetting sin. It's a besetting sin for David. It's going to cause him much grief and much trouble. Is there a sin you have in your life? It seems like God is fulfilling his purpose in you, but yet there's a single sin that's like, one little verse in the chapter of your life right now. And it's like one of those little foxes that Solomon talked about that would jump up and eat the grapes, and ere long all the grapes are gone. And it's going to get you one day. God's not going to let you get away with it. You need to repent from it. Oh, how I wish David, when Saul gave him Michael his daughter had stayed with Michael, although it was rocky and it was tough. But instead, he took on Ahinoham and he took on Abigail. And he had three wives at this time. One of them was way out. His two were with him. David and his problem. Don't let the blessings of God. Listen to me now. Get this. Don't let the blessings of God upon you and the answers to your prayer be the spiritual gauge for your life. You let the holiness of God and obedience to His Word be the spiritual gauge of your life. God was blessing David, but he had three wives. And it's going to come up and get him into trouble. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and use it. Now, I'm going to use this illustration when we preach that sermon on, on David's wives. But how many of you have ever been um, attacked, for lack of a better word, by fire ants? Now, look, we're in my glorious new home state, relatively new home state of Mississippi. Three or four of you raised your hand. If this were Texas, everybody would have raised two hands and two feet. All right? Let me tell you what them fire ants will do. 
You might be out in the brush dove hunting or something or sitting around listening for the hounds or doing something like that or just out and about wherever you are and maybe even in your backyard. And you get the edge of your heel on a fire ant mound and you don't know it. And then fire ants will start crawling up every part of your body that is exposed and not exposed. And you won't know it. And you'll think everything's just fine and dandy. And then all of a sudden, Brooks McKay, one of those fire ants will wiggle an antenna and send out an electrical pulse to all the other fire ants and they will latch onto you at all the same time and you will look like a charismatic Pentecostal dancing in church. <laughs> they will set you on fire, brother. Have you ever had that experience? RB, you had that experience? I don't want that experience. Matter of fact, I asked the pulpit committee, I thought about asking the pulpit committee, and I came here, do y'all have fire ants in Mississippi? But I want to tell you something now. They'll set you up. That's what these kind of sins will do. Now get ready. You're going to hear this illustration again, Lord willing. But that's what this kind of sin will do. All looked well, and everything was hunky-dory. And then all of a sudden, God said, it's time to teach David a lesson with these multiple wives. And it hit him. Amen. Do not... Let the blessings of God upon you or answered prayer be the gauge by which you determine whether or not you're right with God. Because I want to tell you what the New Testament teaches. It rains and blessings upon everybody. There is a common grace. You're breathing right now and you're happy in your life. Well, so is the lost man down the street from you. He's breathing happy as well. Don't let the devil deceive you that way. If you have a sin in your life and the Holy Spirit telling you what it is right now, you need to go to the Lord and you need to repent from it and confess it and get it right and get some prayer partners if, and other people, men or women, who go through that and struggle with it and get you some help and encouragement from the body of Christ and get past it or it's going to light you up one day. That's what's going to happen. And so that's David and his praying. That's David and his prayer. I want you now to notice David and his people. In verse 3, we begin to see three types of people who come to the king. They come to Hebron and they submit to David as king. Most of them had been followers of Saul. They had been in rebellion for a number of years. Some of them might have been with Saul from the beginning. Some of them may not be that old. Saul reigned for 40 years. But they were followers of Saul. Now Saul is dead. Let's take a look at the first group. I call these the people that David rescued. Look at verse 3. And his men that were with him did David bring up every man his household, and they dwelt in the cities of Hebron. Who were these men with their households? Well, David, when David was on the run from Saul, way back in chapter 22 of 1 Samuel, we read that David had escaped Saul. Saul's, Saul was a terrible, terrible king and wreaking havoc in the country. It was an awful time to be living in the nation of Israel. And David was under threat of Saul. Saul was trying to kill him. And David had to flee. And he fled to Engedi to a cave called Adullam. And his brothers and his father's house came. And verse 2 of chapter 22 of 1 Samuel describes these men that we're talking about right now, the men that David rescued. And everyone, 1 Samuel says, that was in distress and everyone that was in debt, and everyone that was discontented gathered themselves unto him, and he became a captain over them, and there were with him about 400 men. These are the men that were with David through it all, his fugitive years. They were with David when he found out that 
Saul and Jonathan were killed in battle. They were the men who grieved with David over Saul and Jonathan's death. And these were the men who first went with him up to Hebron from the very beginning. They were men who at one time in their lives under Saul's kingship were in distress, in debt. They were discontent. Life had just crumbled away around them and fell apart. These are the people that Jesus appealed to when he says, Come unto me, all you who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come unto me. My yoke is easy. I will give your soul rest. He won't cast them out. He receives them. And maybe this is somebody like you. You're in distress. You're in debt in many other ways besides money, or it may be even money. You are in great turmoil. Life is just falling apart around you. You're living a tragic existence right now, a sad, bad season of life you're going through. And for some reason, in His loving providence, your path led you here. God brought you here. And... You're here to hear, come unto Jesus if you're heavy laden. Come to Jesus if you got a burden. Come to Christ. You'll realize your greatest burden is your sin. And if he can take care of your sin, he could lead you and guide you just like he did David when he prayed down a path that will bring you solution and resolution and joy in life and help you become more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus. Come to Jesus. That's what these men did. And they were faithful people. And then notice the second group. Verse 4. And the men of Judah came. And there they anointed king, David king, over the house of Judah. The men of Judah came. These are the people that David receives. Now, if you um, have ever read uh, 1 Samuel, you know that in chapter 30... When David um, went home to his city of Ziklag at the same time or about the same time that Saul was killed in battle, he, he found that the Amalekites had made a raid and kidnapped everybody in his, in his city. And you know the story. David went after them and won a great victory, and he had great spoils. He had many spoils of battle. David had a lot of wealth with him. And the Bible says in 1 Samuel chapter 30 that David called the elders of Judah and said to them, I have all this spoil. You followed Saul all these years. You never did take the grand step of faith and courage and follow me like these 400 men did. But I want to show you kindness. You're my people. I'm, a, I'm from Judah. I want to show you kindness, and I want to give you of this spoil. And he shared the spoils of battle with the people of Judah. And now when Saul is dead, what happens? These men find out David's going to Hebron, and they go to Hebron. The men of Judah go to Hebron, and there it's the men of Judah that anoint David as king. Isn't that a remarkable thing? It reminds me of the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 2 and verse 4 says, It is the goodness of God that brings us to repentance. Well, it's the goodness of King David that brought these men to him. I pray if you don't know Christ as your Savior and you're, you're not serving him as your king, that you would recognize his goodness. You know what? The old-time preachers used to talk about a common grace. And there is a common grace. I believe that. You woke up today, and you might not have had a single thought about God. And it's just a miracle that you're here. It's the providence of God that you're even here. You might get up tomorrow morning and just live all day long without one thought about God or giving Him praise or giving Him thanks or even attuning to His Word. You might be sitting here saying, I wish He'd get done. I'm ready to go. I know that happens, Brother Nicky. I know that. Sometimes I wish I was done. But I want to tell you something. You got up and you had breakfast if you wanted it this morning. 
and you're breathing, and you walked in here, you're going to walk out, you're going to get in a car, unlike most people in this world, you're going to go home to a home that has a roof over your head, you're going to get up tomorrow morning, and you might not go to work and earn a paycheck, you might get one in your mailbox or automatically put into your bank. You're going to eat more today than most people have to eat in the whole world in a week. Matter of fact, you'll throw away more food today than most people have to eat in a week in this world. And you don't think God is good? And you're not going to give him thanks for the blessings that he's given you? Poverty in America, and he has given you of the spoils. And the goodness of God today is calling out to you to repent of your sin and surrender to the kingship of the Lord Jesus Christ, just like he did through David to the men of Judah. So life's falling apart for you. He says, come unto me, all you who are labor. Life is good to you. He's calling you to repentance by that very goodness and saying, don't spurn me, come to me and bow down to me. But there's a third group. Notice what the men of Judah did. The men of Judah did something like the people of First Baptist are doing. You know what the men of Judah did? They got a mission. They got a whole bunch of ping pong balls. That's what they did. Look what the text says in verse, five, uh, verse 4. And the men of Judah came, and there they anointed David king over the house of Judah. And they told David, saying, The men of Jabesh Gilead, that was their mission. They were the ones who buried Saul. And David sent messengers unto the men of Jabesh and said unto them, Blessed be ye of the Lord that ye have shown this kindness unto your Lord, even unto Saul, and have buried him. And now the Lord show kindness and truth unto you, and I also will requite you this kindness, repay it to you, because you have done this thing. Therefore now let your hands be strengthened, you men of Jabesh-Gilead, and be ye valiant, for your master Saul is dead. Your master's dead. And also the house of Judah have anointed me king over them. And this is the people he reconciled. These are the men of Jabesh-Gilead. 1 Samuel 31 says that when the Philistines got a hold of the body of Saul, or, or when, they, when they, Saul was afraid they'd get a hold of it, the men of Jabesh-Gilead traveled all night to retrieve this body of Saul and Jonathan, took it off the wall where the Philistines had ridiculed it. And they traveled all the way back, and they buried them. They, they took care of them. They honored them. And they ministered as national heroes to the nation. And David heard about it from the men of Judah. And David said, I'm going to extend my kindness to them. And I want you to notice, David basically says, you followed Saul. Now it's time to follow me. You followed Saul. Now it's time to follow me. These men of Jabesh-Gilead, they needed to be reconciled to David. They needed to repent from their following of Saul. See, they were moral people. They were courageous people. They were good people. They were people who would do the right thing when they didn't have to do the right thing. They, they are men that, that anybody would be honored to know moral, upstanding people. And they did a courageous act of patriotism by traveling all night to retrieve at their peril of being in the enemy's camp in great peril to, 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 to the risk of their lives. They brought Saul and Jonathan away and honored their bodies, honored their burial. Jabesh wasn't in Judah. Jabesh was in the tribe of Gad. And so David reaches to the tribe of Gad, to these moral, upstanding men, and he says to them, Come unto me. You have rallied for Saul. He was the wrong king. He was the wrong king. God has established me as king. 
Come unto me. You see, they were good men, moral men. You'd be proud of these men if they were your sons. But the Bible says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. And so when David made this appeal to the men of Jabesh-Gilead, he said, The men of Judah have anointed me king, and I'm inviting you to repent from following Saul and to come to me. I admire your morality. I admire your courage. You're a good person. You don't cheat, steal, and lie. You don't commit crimes. You're not like some of these other characters we're going to see about in a couple of chapters over the next couple of weeks. You're a good person. But you're not saved by great feats of courage. I don't accept you just because you did a patriotic act and honored Saul. You have to join the men of Judah in surrendering to my sovereignty, and then I will accept you. Because you're saved not by your good works, men of Jabesh, you're saved by my grace. When Saul found out that the priest of the city of Nob had helped David, he went and murdered the whole city, every priest. When David found out that the men of Jabesh-Gilead had helped Saul, he went out and summoned them out of his gracious spirit to turn themselves to David and be reconciled by grace. Maybe that's you. You're a good What you do, do for any motive, good motive, but not for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That would be. So we find three kinds of people who need to come to Jesus today. Do you fit in one of those three? Now let me, I want you to get this. Don't, don't start getting ready to go because here's the part of the question you need to know about. Look at verse 8. I wish this, these two words, if these two little words were not in history, not in the Bible, we would have a whole different story. We wouldn't have a lot of blood and a lot of sorrow and a lot of pain. And those two words are in verse 8. But Abner, but Abner, the son of Ner, captain of Saul's host, took Ishbosheth, another son of Saul who wasn't in the battle. We'll talk more about Ishbosheth beginning next week. But he brought him over to Mahanaim. Let me tell you in closing a little bit about Mahanaim. Where is Mahanaim? Well, let me just illustrate it to you this way. A few years ago, uh, one of our families in our church, I can't remember who it was. If you're here today, you can come up and remind me who you were. Uh, but they told me they were taking a cross-country vacation, and they were going to go out west. And I was so excited for them, and I gave them a few stops, you know, to go to and all of that good stuff. And they set out on their journey. They said, we're leaving early in the morning. Well, about noon, I get a phone call. Dr. Mike, we just passed a road sign in Texas that said El Paso, 857 miles away. <laughs> and is it really that far? And I wanted to say, nope, Texas are the biggest liars in the world. We're not that wide. But I won't tell you, they saw that road sign. I think they wanted to divert to Hot Springs, Arkansas or something. But I said, well, you know, yep, yeah, it's that far. 
Now, if it was today, I would have said, stop at Bucky's, get some gasoline, you burritos and taquitos, and go to El Paso. El Paso is the furthest stretch. Once you get out of El Paso, you're over in New Mexico, and that's it. Mahatnaim is Israel's El Paso. It's way out there. Now, it's probably only about 65 or 70 miles from Hebron, but still, back then, that was, it might as well have been 800 miles. Mahanaim was as far away as you can get from King David. It was as far away as you could get. And Abner took Ishbosheth. Why? Because Abner really wanted to be king. But he couldn't be king, so he set up this little puppet named Ishbosheth we'll talk about in weeks to come. But I want to tell you something, folks. If you are not like those men who are in distress and discouragement and debt and hurting in life, and you don't come to David, and he rescues you and saves you, and go to Hebron with him, and if you are not like the men of Judah who say you have been kind to us and we love you, we'll come to Hebron and surrender to your kingship and you will be anointed king over Judah. And if you were not like the men of Jabesh-Gilead who said, yes, King David, we did honor Saul, but now we have repented and we honor you. And you come to him and surrender to his lordship and receive him as our savior and put your capital and your king in Hebron you might as well be way out in Mahanai, as far away from him as you can get because that's where your life is leading. That's where you're going, as far away from him because you can strive to get away from him right now and after you die or after he returns, you will be successful in your attempt to get as far away from him as possible. So the invitation today is come unto Jesus. Come to Hebron. Where's Hebron? Hebron today is right here up front. And you just come on down and say, Preacher, I, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a moral person, but I'm not a saved person. I've never been born again. I'll help you. You might say, Well, Preacher, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a rebel. I, I, my life is falling apart. Come unto Jesus. He won't cast you out. Come on down. This is Cole Andrews. Thank you for tuning in to our sermon podcast. Just wanted to encourage you to visit our website, fbcosms.com.